You're listening to Sage Spirituality. Reaching back, leaning in, and seeking out a deeper experience with God. With your host, Joel Marvin. Welcome to this episode of Sage Spirituality. I'm your host, Joel Marbot, and I just want to thank you for coming back to the table and being a part of what we're doing here in this podcast community. You help us every time you share, every time you rate, every time you subscribe. You make us more visible. It's amazing to me that we get reports week in and week out of people all over the United States that are tuning in that are walking this journey with us, that are taking time to look back in church history, to lean into the biblical text so that they can go deeper in their walk with God. Now, we can't do it without you. We don't have a budget. We don't have any kind of money that's coming in that we can use to promote our podcast. But what we do is we depend on you. And every time you share, you help us in that way. So I want to thank you in advance for being our hands and feet extended to help this community to to grow. Now, we're going to continue in our journey through the Gospels today. It's very important for us to uh, just remind ourselves where we were. Jesus is kind of doing a roundabout tour in uh, in the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. And uh, that's where we pick it up. It's almost like if you mapped out his journey through Mark chapter 7. He's just doing this massive circle, just going around, going around, going around. And uh, right here, we pick up the story, uh, Mark 7, 31 through 37. And listen to what the text says. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and then went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some of the people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. They begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be open. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, when we look at this, it's pretty easy sometimes just to pass over a text like this and say, well, you know, realistically, uh, I don't fit this category. Maybe I don't even know someone that has this Maybe this physical challenge or these conditions. Maybe I've never met someone or I've never had an encounter like this, and it really doesn't have an application in my life. But, you know, this is one of those texts that if we start pulling back the layers, all of a sudden we start seeing a greater depth of what God's trying to speak to each one of us individually through this inspired text. Now, first and foremost, I want to point out something to you. I want you to see what Jesus did when he first met the man In verse 33, it says, he took him aside. He took him away from the crowd. And, you know, it's very important. I I love church. I love being inside of a congregation. There's nothing more charged than being in an amazing worship service. But in reality, God does his greatest work alone when it's just one-on-one. 
it's something intimate. God's inviting us into a deeper relationship. Just imagine that you're in this situation and you walk up to Jesus. You really don't know what to expect. And the next thing you know is he pulls you away from your comfort zone and gets you alone to deal with you. You know, St. Augustine realized something when he wrote these words. He said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. And see, it's almost like a parent and a child. Just uh, realistically, you can deal in a much more personal and direct way with your individual children if you have multiple kids than you can as a group. So many times it's really hard to get to the heart of a matter if you're inside of a big crowd. Now, Henry Nouwen said this. He said, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, which solitude is when we're just alone with God, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Dallas Willard went on. He said, solitude, well-practiced, will break the power of busyness. Haste, or the word hurry, isolation, and loneliness. You will see that the world is not on your shoulders after all. You will find yourself, and God will find you in new ways. That's what God is doing in your life. He's wanting to get you to a place of solitude where you're alone with Him, and He can do His work in you. Now, so many times we find a challenge of finding solitude, especially if you have four kids, if you if you have a large family, if you're very involved in ministry and very involved in your work or whatever. So many times we can't find solitude. And one of the things I teach is the fact that we can find solitude anywhere. I can find solitude on a subway train. I just have to make the space for it. It may require some sound-canceling headphones. It may require uh, finding a seat in a section where no one else is sitting. It may require Finding, uh, finding God on my daily commute where I shut everything off and I don't allow the noise to overtake what he's trying to say to me. There's solitude all around us, but we have to carve it out. We have to reserve it, and we have to make it happen. Now, the second thing that we see here is that Jesus knew exactly what this man needed. Now, it was obvious because he was deaf and he was mute. Now, that's pretty out there. I mean, it's just straightforward. But, you know, we have to come to the conclusion that Jesus knows our reality even more than we do, and He knows what we need even when we can't verbalize it. You know, a lot of times we fear going to prayer because we're not going to do it right. We fear having a conversation with God because we're afraid we're going to skip something or, or fall over a word or we're going to do something we shouldn't do or say something we shouldn't say. And realistically, um, you know, Jesus pointed to God's desire for us. Matthew 6, 8 says, don't be like the hypocrites because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Our Heavenly Father, when you go to a conversation, you already know that God knows what you need. Man, that frees you up. You can't drop the ball. The only thing you can do is refuse to ask. You can just refuse to have that conversation. In Romans 8, uh, 22 through 26, the Apostle Paul points out, and this is a pretty long piece of Scripture as a reference, but it's something I really don't want to take out because it's so beautiful. Listen to what Paul said. He said, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is, that is seen is no hope at all. Who, do, who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now listen to this, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. When we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us through groanings, through wordless expressions. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That's pretty powerful. That's transformational. When we understand that we have a Father in heaven, number one, that already knows what we have need of, and number two, even when we can't vocalize it, He gives us a manner just to reach out, just our, our, our groanings. You know, realistically, uh, think of it as a parent. Again, I'll go back to that illustration. You know, as a parent, if you're a parent and you know your kids, when your kids come home from school or they come home from church or from a ball game or something like that, you know when there's something going on. They don't even have to express it. It just, it's there. And you know, how much more does our Heavenly Father know us better than we know our earthly kids? Jesus pointed to this in Luke chapter 11, verse 11 through 13. He says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or which if, which if your son asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You know, he's just making that comparison, saying you love your kids so much, you want to do the right thing for your kids. Now, can you trust your Heavenly Father that He wants to do even more? Because we're evil. We have, we're, there's no perfect human. There's no one that lives without sin. So many times we trip over our ulterior motive, our, our, the, the, the thing that maybe we do it, maybe we help our kid because we expect something back from them. Or maybe we say something to our kid but get a certain reaction out of them. But you know what? God doesn't do that. God knows what we have need of. And he will give it to us, even if it comes through the groanings and the cries in a childlike manner. Now, you know, we have to reach a place. We have to reach a place where we trust God, where even if we don't know what to ask, and I've reached that place before where I've come into prayer and my prayer was, Lord, I'm not even sure that I'm asking what I'm even asking for right now. God, I'm not even sure why I'm here right now, but I know that I need you, and I know that I need something that I don't have. You know, those prayers are really reflected in the Word of God when Jesus taught us how to pray, when he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Or, you know, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, Not my will, but thy will be done. You know, sometimes it's the simplest prayer that has the most profound effect in our life. Now, the third observation from this text today is, you know, God, Jesus has the capability in, in, in un, 
conventional ways. Imagine he spit on the man's tongue. He stuck his fingers in his ear. He did. It was almost like a circus sideshow or something, right? He wasn't doing conventional things here. But see, God has a supernatural way of bringing forth a timid voice and making it roar. And he also has a way of opening up deaf ears. The founder of YWAM, Lauren Cunningham, he said this about being deaf to the voice of God. He said, hearing God is not all that difficult. If we know the Lord, we have already heard his voice. After all, it was the inner leading that brought us to him in the first place. But we can hear his voice and still miss his best if we don't keep on listening. After the what of guidance comes the when and how. Now, I want I want to ask you right now. Maybe you say, "Look, I don't know anyone that's I don't know anyone that's mute. I don't know anyone that's deaf." But I'm not talking to you today about the physical. Is there is there a possibility that you're spiritually mute, or that you're spiritually deaf? Maybe stone cold deaf to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're just not hearing God. Well, you know, one thing that we can look at here is God has the power to free us from that affliction. You know, A.W. Tozer made a very brash confession about probably 70 or 80 years ago when he was preaching in Chicago. He said this, Most Christians don't hear God's voice because we've already decided we aren't going to do what he says. We haven't made a decision to obey. Now, I want you to think, Maybe this guy very quickly could have slapped Jesus' hands where he could have got offended because Jesus spit on his tongue. I mean, just imagine that. Just imagine that. Some of you germaphobes, you're just going nuts. You're like, oh my gosh, he did what? Some guy that you've never met, random, just comes up and breaks all the cultural conventional wisdom. I mean, just absolute goes crazy. <laughs> And this guy had all of the opportunity to just walk away and not receive what God was doing. See, sometimes our desperation has to reach a place that overtakes our conventional wisdom. Our desperation for what God wants to say to us and what God wants to say through us. Now, I love what Winston Churchill said here because realistically I've known a lot of Christians that have prayed, Lord, help me to share my faith. Give me what I need to say. Lord, I stand on your promise that even when I stand before kings and governments that I don't have to even think about what I'm going to say. You're going to give me the words I need, right? But Winston Churchill says this. He says, courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. And a lot of us pray for that courage, right? But he said, courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. And realistically, in my Christian life, I can tell you something. It has taken more courage to listen to the voice of God than it's ever taken to stand up in front of thousands of people and share what he said to me. It takes more courage to listen to the voice of God. And I want to challenge you with something today. Maybe you've been asking God to use you in a mightier way. Maybe you've been asking God to allow you to preach the Word of God or to just be a, a more effective witness. 
And I want you to continue to pray that, but don't pray that prayer. Don't ask for God to help you speak or that God would speak through you until you ask for the grace to listen to what he has to say. If you don't have the courage to listen, then do us all a favor and forget about having the courage to speak because I would rather have a man that was humble and has listened to God and open to what God's saying than the most prepared man or woman on the planet. Now, the fourth observation here is that Jesus wants to get you by yourself. Jesus knows what you need even when you don't know what you need yourself. And Jesus will use unconventional manners, unconventional ways to overcome the affliction of of being able to hear the voice of God and being able to speak for the Lord. But the fourth observation in this text is that Jesus wants you to go through this experience, through this process, so that you can see for yourself that he has done everything well. That you can stand at the end of your life and you can proclaim to your your family, you can proclaim to your friends, and you can proclaim to everyone else, no matter the circumstances, he has done everything well. Listen to what the psalmist said. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the desire of God, that you would taste, that you would experience God on your own and see that He has done everything well. Paul came to this conclusion in Romans 8, 28. He says, I know that all things work together for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to God's purposes. You see, there was this there's this, it's not just that everything works out for me in the end. It's the fact that if I am listening to God, if I'm trying to be obedient to Him, then I realize everything will work out to my benefit. You know that phrase there, everything He does is, is, is well. Or in another translation, it could, it could be said, you know, everything He does is wonderful. You know, that reflects the very beginning of creation, Genesis 1.31, where God looked over all of creation and he said it was very good. From the very beginning, God has seen the goodness in his creation and the things God does are always good. They're always well and they're always wonderful. Now, I can tell you from experience that God has always done this in my life. Yet many times, many, many times, I haven't really been able to see it. I haven't been able to touch it and feel it. Sometimes it was a delayed goodness. Sometimes it was a, a fruit of, of him doing things well that was coming way down the road and maybe didn't take, maybe didn't appear in the way I'd expected it to or the way I'd hoped it would happen. You know, Ultimately, we see this prayer here that Jesus prayed, and this is my closing part here, and I, I want to leave you with something today. That, you know, Jesus' prayer was very straightforward. 
of Fatha. Be opened. You know, God wants to open your ears. He wants to open your ears so that you can hear what he's saying. He wants to open your eyes so that you can see his goodness. And you know, as a result of seeing, of hearing what he has to say, of seeing his goodness, he wants to open your mouth and fill it with his praises, with a testimony that's powerful and transformational. He wants to pray that prayer in every one of our lives. But see, he has to get us to that point. Number one, the point is, is he wants to get us alone, one-on-one. This is a work and a prayer, a deep, intimate prayer that he wants to do for each one of us in our lives. He wants to get us alone. He wants to, he wants you to know that he knows what you know, even when you don't know how to ask for it. He also wants to let you know that he has the capability of overcoming all of the challenges that you have in your life. The fact that you can't hear him, you're, you, you can't see his goodness. And he also wants to get you to a place where you can experience his goodness and everything he does as well. Not necessarily what you want it to be, but it will always work out in your benefit and in your favor. So you know a tool that I've used, I, I try to use it on a daily basis. Sometimes I, I miss a day or two. But several years ago, I came across an amazing uh, tool that was developed uh, about 600 years ago by an incredible man of God named Ignatius of Loyola. Ignatius of Loyola was a, was a soldier who became a believer. And when he became a believer, he brought a methodical military mindset to spiritual formation and discipleship. And he left us with an incredible book called Spiritual Exercises. And from that book has come an incredible prayer tool that's called the Daily Examine. This Daily Examine is absolutely amazing. It really focuses on five points. It focuses on presence, on gratitude. It focuses on, on review and repentance and grace. Now, how do these things play? That each and every day you would take time. Usually it's best to do it at the very end of your day, right before you go to bed. You would take a few minutes, 10, 20 minutes of your day, and you would find a quiet place to be alone with God. And you would automatically, number one, you would recognize God's presence there. That's the first point. Just recognize his presence. Recognize that he's present, that he's there with you. And even when you're all alone, he's right there with you. Number two, take some time to give him gratitude. Look over your day and find the points where you're grateful for what he's done. Just take time to thank him every day. The third thing that you do is you take time to also look back over your day from start to finish. And you take time to just see if, there was a moment throughout the day when you felt loved by God. You just felt the tangible love of God. Maybe it was through a letter that you received from someone, a tangible love of God because you heard a great message or because someone prayed for you or because someone paid for your, your Big Mac on your way in, through the drive through Whatever it is, you find the tangible ways that you have felt God's love throughout the day. Now, the fourth point is, 
is when you're looking back over your day, you're probably going to find some bumps in the road. You're going to find moments where you just missed it and you failed. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. Your attitude was bad. You you yelled at your kids or you kicked the dog or you, you know, you, you got mad in traffic. Whatever the thing was that took place. And you take time. The fourth step is to repent. You just repent for your failures. Just say, hey, I missed it. Sorry. God, I am sorry that I did not listen, that I did not obey. And the fifth and final point there is the point of grace. You want to come back and you want to ask God for His grace and for His help to change that that failure point that you've identified, that point of failure in your life, you just want to reach out to Him. And what ends up taking place, if you can find this time to do a daily examine, is you will eventually start seeing the fruit of Jesus' prayer, a fatha. <laughs> your ears will be open. Your eyes will be open. And when your ears are open and listening to what He's saying, when your eyes are open and seeing His goodness, then friends, you can't help but open your mouth and testify. They testified even though Jesus told them to be quiet. He couldn't shut them up because they had seen that he does everything well. I want to thank you for being here with us this week. I want to pray God's blessings on you. I want to invite you back to our next episode as we continue our journey through the Gospels. You know that there's someone you need to share this message with. I want you to take the time right now. Call someone, text someone, share it on Facebook. However you can get it out, get into the hands of the people that need it the most. They'll thank you for it. God bless you, and thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Sage Spirituality. We are so glad you pulled up a chair. 